The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through outreach, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit RestorationSouthside.org. Already criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter." And he will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gives to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I? that I should stand in God's way. When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. This is the word of the Lord. All right, you may be seated. Good morning. My name is Steve, and I'm a part-time staff here. And I enjoy and I'm thrilled to be in this section of scripture with you this morning. All through the book of Acts, which we have been talking about, the witness, witness says in the book of Acts, and as we have gone through and listed the ways that people have witnessed to the truth of what Jesus Christ is and does, you start with the Holy Spirit and the coming at Pentecost and then Peter standing and preaching and others there preaching in languages not their own and people hearing in languages that they know. And these were Hellenistic Jews and Hebrew, Hebrew Jews. God bearing witness through them about the great news of Jesus Christ. And then we see Philip being one of the first deacons being called to Samaria and then to meet with the Ethiopian eunuch, we hear and listen to the testimony that Stephen, one of the first given deacons, gives and seals with his own life. Then we read and heard about the, con- the con- conversion of Saul, who was named Paul. And we see over and over the Holy Spirit is moving the church outward according to the promise that Jesus gave. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. To witness 
is to tell or attest to what is true and real and critical for others to know. In the passage in front of us in Acts 10 and 11, we have the Holy Spirit himself witnessing the truth and the reality of the fulfillment of God's covenant promise. And we'll see the Holy Spirit witnessing in three ways. The first, witnessing to the covenant promise kept. And then the Holy Spirit will witness to the mystery of Christ being revealed. And we will hear then the Holy Spirit witness to the way that the way to the Father's heart is now opened wide. As we listen to the Spirit as he moves Cornelius and Peter in this longest narrative in the book of Acts, let's ask God to help us. Let's pray. Father, we are the recipients of the grace and the beauty of this passage. For even many hundreds and even a thousand years later, we have come to believe in the same Jesus and to know the truth of what is being said here. Help us, Lord, not to think that this is something slight or small, but let us worship you as we see, O Holy Spirit, you reveal to a man that you've prepared through the man that you've chosen to know and to believe in Jesus Christ. And I pray that those of us who have come by faith, that gift of faith to know that this is true, would be encouraged and strengthened. And that if there is any among us, Lord, who are strangers to this news, would you use this passage and what it teaches to open their eyes to see the beauty, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We pray it in just Jesus' name. Amen. The Holy Spirit bears witness first through the covenant kept. We have a perspective being some 2,000 years after this happened. We have known and seen the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Whether you know all the details or not, it has gone to every land and every nation. Almost every tongue has heard the news of Jesus Christ on this earth. Statistically, you will not hear this, but it is true. Christianity is the fastest growing religion in this world. And the reason is because of what the Spirit is teaching here in this passage. If you think about redemption, God's great act of redemption, it really is the center point of all human history. Empires come and go And as the Spirit showed Daniel, there was a stone cut out without hands that came and smashed the image that represented all the empires of the earth. And that a kingdom would come and grow and overwhelm all of them. And that has happened. That has been happening. And so what is easy for us to say is, yes, that's true. God has been doing that. And we are the recipients of that. So much so that we might miss the tension that is here in this passage for Jewish believers. At Pentecost, it was Hellenistic and Hebrew Jews who heard the message of the gospel and believed at 3,000 on day and many more in the days to follow as the Spirit began to open the hearts and minds of people in the promise of his coming. But until this passage, salvation is still of the Jews. 
The words that Jesus used to the Syrophoenician woman, salvation is from the Jews. It all comes in that great tree of redemption from the roots, the covenant promises of God. So the tension that they feel, the tension that we need to understand that the Holy Spirit is giving witness to is this tension of the covenant promise not yet fulfilled. In Genesis 12, where God called Abram to come out of the land of Ur of the Chaldees and go to a plan that he would be shown, that God would bless him and make him a blessing and make a great nation of him. In chapter 12 and verse 2, that promise is very clear. I will make a great nation of you. You're, you're, and he told him when Isaac was sacrificed by Abraham, but not really completely saved and preserved by God because he was a son of promise. Even then, Abraham was told, your descendants will be like the stars of the, of the heavens. I will make a great nation of you. And we can look back to the Old Testament history and say, yes, amen, it has happened. All the way from the bondage for 400 years in Egypt to the miraculous discovery of God as their God and the Passover and the Red Sea and the covenant at Sinai and being fed and cared for in the desert for 40 years. God was keeping his promise and building a great nation. And through the conquest of Canaan and the ugly time of the judges and the start of the kingdom under Saul and then David. Throughout, God was promising and keeping his promises to Abraham that he would make of him a great nation. The kingdom division, north and south, the conquest by Assyria of the northern kingdom, and finally the conquest and exile of the southern kingdom by Babylon. Even in those darkest of times, in times of national evil in God's people, God's covenant promise was sure and certain. The exile over in 70 years, Cyrus releases the people. They come back to Jerusalem. They rebuild the temple. And the preparation for God's great promise to Abraham, the second part, is almost complete. In verse 3 of chapter 12, he says to Abraham, In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. But how? How is that going to happen? And when? Salvation still at this point is from and through the Jews, through the truth of God's people, the Jews. So now here in this passage, we see the Holy Spirit bearing witness to the covenant promise being kept. Beautiful passage in Isaiah chapter 49, one of the servant songs. We preached that at Advent a couple of years ago in chapter 49 in verse 6. The prophet Isaiah, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says this. He's speaking of God, speaking to his servant. And God says to him, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. I will make you a light to the nations. Here in Acts chapter 10, the Holy Spirit is bearing witness that now this great covenant promise to our father Abraham and the very beginning of his people is coming true. 
How does he do that? How and when will this happen? In chapter 10, we find out that there is a mystery. Paul reminds us or teaches us for the first time in his letter to the church at Ephesus that there is a mystery to Christ's coming. Christ has come and all that was said about him in scripture has come true and been really revealed. But Paul says before that, not made Christ was not made known to the sons of men in other generations. Up to this point, how and where and in what way this mystery of Christ, the fulfillment of Isaiah 49, will actually take place is still mysterious. But now revealed by the Holy Spirit through this narrative that we will look at, salvation has come by the Spirit, through his holy apostles and prophets, will be proclaimed to a Gentile and the Spirit given to him. It's a pivot point in the whole book of Acts. From this point forward, we see the good news of the gospel through Paul's missionary journeys and on to the, the ends of the known world, just as Jesus promised. And it has come to us in the same way. How does God reveal, God the Spirit reveal this eternal purpose of Christ and realize it in the Lord Jesus? Well, through a centurion. Chapter 10 says at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. A cohort was usually six centurions and their men. A centurion was over 80 to 100 men and they rose up through the ranks. They were men typically of great ability, physical and mental. Their leadership qualities became apparent and they were advanced to the point where they led and cared for about 100 men. And it wasn't just the skills of warfare and personal combat. These men were accomplished in that. And their word were, was the word of life and death for many people. But they were also brilliant leaders in the sense that they took care of all the logistics of the Roman army. When they went afield, they took care of supplying them. They had people reporting to them who took care of the big picture of how the battle was to be drawn up and won. And they often led their troops at the advance when, when the battle was joined. Centurions were brave, but they were most of all men who were realists, who had seen a lot and experienced a lot. Centurions are spoken of fondly by Luke. In chapter seven, Luke recounts the story of the centurion who loved the Jewish nation and had built the synagogue there and was sent, sent servants to Jesus because his trusted beloved servant was dying. And you remember the story how he said, I'm not worthy for you to come, just say the word and my servant will be healed. And he was. And Luke said that Jesus marveled. He had not found faith like that in all of Israel. Already the beginning glimmers of God's great heart, not only for his people, the Jews, but for all people was on display. At the end of Mark in the crucifixion narrative, Mark relates through Peter of the centurion who stood facing the cross, observing all that had happened there, the hours of darkness, the voices from the cross, the interaction between the thieves. 
and when Jesus breathed his last, cried out, surely this was the Son of God. And here, another centurion, a man who, Luke says, feared God with all his household. He was devout. He games, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. What are these things? Well, a centurion who had seen all kinds of false religions had come to see that there was one true living God. And he had been revealed through the life and the story of the people of Israel. And he had attached himself to a synagogue and had heard the, the explanation and application of the law of God. And it found a home in his heart. How do we know? Because the law is all about loving God and loving your neighbor, isn't that? That's the summary of the law according to Jesus Christ. The centurion had come to know that was true. And we see that in his life because he gave alms generously. He was becoming like his generous God. And the third thing was he prayed continually. He had come to know, even though he did not know the full extent of God and his relationship to God, was praying. Now, if there are people here today who you would not call yourself a Christian, first, we really are always glad when people like that are here. And we want you to know, and this church is a place that is welcoming to all who come, especially those who are curious and want to know the truth. Do you want to know God if you are a stranger to him? Well, as you listen to the narrative about Cornelius, there are some lessons here for all of us. First of all, you already know something about God. You were born knowing this. And the evidence is all around you, unless you're a denial, that God is a God who is the creator. Men very poorly imitate things that have been made by God that are beautiful and glorious. I was taking a break outside at work and noticed it was a balmy day, but a little bit of a breeze and there was dragonflies dancing on the wind. Have you ever watched them fly? How effortless it is, how quickly they can dart in one direction or another and float even against a headwind so quick as they reach out for their prey, they're beautiful and elegant in the way that they fly. And while I was admiring that dragonfly, a military transport jet went overhead. And I thought to myself, what a contrast. Here is this vessel, this thing made of tons of steel, carrying people through the air using the same principles of the power of aerodynamics. The dragonfly's flight was gorgeous and effortless and beautiful the lumbering jet overhead, loud and noisy, and if it ran out of fuel or its engines died, would come crashing to earth. We imitate God. We imitate the things that he has, got, has made. But you know, no matter who you are, or where you are today, you know that both he is creator and the creator of all things, the stars, all things on earth, and most of all, the creator of life. In all of our faint mimicry of God, submarines mimicking fish, 
planes mimicking birds and dragonflies. None of these things that we make are alive. Even the computers that we call artificial and intelligent. None of them live. What you know, what you believe, I hope, is that only God makes life. It was God who made your life. And if you were to allow Cornelius to be your guide and leader, what you would do now is begin to honor him as God. And you would realize that he hears you when you cry out to him. If you sincerely want to know him, ask him, pray to him. It's said here by the Holy Spirit, when the vision from the Spirit came to Cornelius to send for Peter, that your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. God is answering this man's earnest desire above all things to know and to love the one true God. And that should give your heart incredible hope. It is true for you as well. Pray to him. He hears. Do not cease in your quest until you have come to know what he has come to know. This mystery revealed now to Cornelius through the vessel of Peter continues. It's interesting that Peter was in Joppa, which is way outside of the bonds of bounds of Judea. He had already healed a paralyzed man and raised Tabitha from the dead and was preaching and teaching the good news. And men and women in that area of Sharon were believing and while he was on the rooftop of Simon's house in Joppa three, and praying, the Holy Spirit sends this vision. And you heard about it three times. This, what appears to be a great sheet, is let down with clean and unclean animals. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Never, Lord, I have never eaten any unclean thing. Three times so that Peter would know and hear with all of his mind and heart the message. What God has cleansed, do not call common or unclean. At that very second, at that moment, Peter says, the men who had come from Cornelius and Caesarea, about 13 miles away, knock on the door. They come and they make known their mission. What has happened to their master, the vision that he was obedient to, to send for Peter. And Peter comes. And Peter, as he preaches the Holy Spirit through Peter, bears witness to the fact that not only is this mystery of Christ being revealed and opened, that now the great promise of Isaiah 49 is coming true in real life, in real human lives, but that also... The way to the Father is now opened wide. Spirit bears witness through Peter's message. In John 14, you remember last supper in that gathering of the disciples the night before Jesus was crucified. As he was explaining to them that he was going to go away, their hearts were grieved and their minds were dark. They didn't understand what he meant. And you remember Thomas saying, Lord, where are you going? Where? And, and how do we know the way? And Jesus answered in words that echo through eternity, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No one comes to the Father but by me. Philip, still perplexed, said, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. And Jesus answered him, Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. I and the Father are one. In other words, in the person of Jesus Christ, the glory, the beauty, the love, the holiness, the justice of God are being on display, displayed brightly for all to see. And now as the Holy Spirit, through Peter's mouth, opens the news about Jesus to a God-fearer, a man who was searching for God and wanting to know God, wanting to obey God, but did not yet understand that the way to the Father had been opened. Peter begins to preach. Now in the passage that was read for you, Peter just simply says, as I began speaking, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. But I want you to hear in Acts 10 what Peter said to Cornelius and all that were assembled there in the house. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, Peter said, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. That message was not unknown to Cornelius and the people in the house. Peter reminded them that everybody knew the news about what had happened in Judea and Galilee and the news about the crucifixion, but not the resurrection. Now the Holy Spirit is bearing witness through Peter's message and all of the seeking and preparation that he's done in Cornelius's heart and the people that were assembled there come to fruition. And what happens? <laughs> in a way that's so glorious, God gives the same sign to this Gentile centurion that he gave to the Jewish believers at Pentecost. And now the Holy Spirit is bearing witness that the way to the Father's heart has been opened wide for all to hear and believe this message and to come and to have life. Who is Jesus? Peter tells him. What has he done? Peter tells him. What about his death? Peter explains. His resurrection, Peter affirms. Peter testifies that all who believe in his name will have forgiveness of sins. At that very second, the Spirit falls upon all who are in the house. The same signs at Pentecost, speaking with other tongues, telling the glory of God and praising him. This is the pivot point in Acts. Hear God's great promise and command to his men to bear witness is now going to explode throughout the world 
And we are witnesses that that has come true. That has happened. God has borne witness to his truth, his faithfulness, and his great love. Let me end with something that C.S. Lewis said in that address called The Weight of Glory, which, if you've not read, I couldn't recommend more highly. C.S. Lewis says he's noticed that there is always this desire of someone inferior to be praised and delighted in by the superior, whether it's a good-hearted child to a parent or even something so simple as a dog wagging its tail when you praise him for running and fetching the ball. There is this built-in sense of wanting the approval, the delight, the belonging to of somebody who is superior to us. C.S. Lewis calls it an inconsolable secret. Inconsolable because there's nothing in this life that quite gets all the way there. In the best friendships, there's a hint. In the best marriages, there's a picture of it. Two hearts belonging without reservation to each other. But we still struggle with that, with our selfishness. But the thing that the Holy Spirit is bearing witness to here is that the great way, the way to the heart of the Father has now been opened wide in Jesus Christ. He said that the astounding thing is that the message of the gospel is that you and I, flawed and broken and faulty as we are, can be the delight of God the Father. The same way that a father delights in a beloved son. That you and I can please him. That you and I can know belonging to a father that is perfect in all he does. That his love never fails. His presence never goes away. His discipline and training for us to be holy like him is his great project. And he will with joy take us to be with him forever. The Spirit seals this witness by coming upon Cornelius as he hears the word. What I want to know is, will you and I follow the centurion? Will we honor God as God? Will we delight in his messenger, Jesus Christ, and all he has done? Will we pray to him continually? Will we grow to be like him in generosity? That is the message of Acts 10 and 11. Would you pray with me? Father, words cannot express our thankfulness to you, for you have promised and fulfilled. You have loved and cared for and sustained your people down through the ages. This glorious redemption you have accomplished in the person of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ. And, O oh Holy Spirit, you take that news, that glorious achievement of redemption, and spread it abroad, that you prepare hearts to hear it, and that you welcome people who are flawed and dead in trespasses and sins into your kingdom as sons and daughters. 
to know belonging in the truest and forever sense. I pray that you would cause that reality to motivate us, to move us, to fill us with love and service. In Jesus' name, amen. Belonging in the truest and forever sense. I pray that you would cause that reality to motivate us, to move us, to fill us with love and service. In Jesus' name, amen.